nyanyanya pa mba babwe zimbabwe <coughs> the broken bunsen burner burns so bright south jamie southeast asian peninsula hey, hey jamie yes i think the only line we need from you today is drivers who switch to progressive could say big Cool. I just got to finish my warm-ups. <clears throat> foul, foul, throw in the towel. History, history. Switch to Progressive today. Santa ski slalom in a salmon skin suit. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. HD Smartcast. You are listening to a Live Mint production. Brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello and welcome to another brand new chapter of Mint. Uh,
uh, in context of uh, some bit of a demand destruction in some context just came around crude so now coming into the era where we all were in the unprecedented seem to be norm which is the covid um de- definitely you know one of the huge paradigms where everyone uses is is that you know india is always the center point of go to the fuel demand that took a massive massive beating during the lockdown but to your point uh, clearly as you know the lockdown started easing end of the day fuel is is very cor- strongly correlated with mobility so as we started seeing some mobility coming into into the economy as the unlocks happened uh, that we started seeing the reasonable fuels are concerned uh, be it in gasoline or gas oil Uh, of course, during the course of the COVID, uh, because there were these very strong government-supported programs of uh, ensuring that uh, people were getting, uh, you know, LPGs, uh, you know, all the, uh, you know, the, the food and, and you know, the kind of fuel was being supplied. So LPGs kind of, in some form, during the course course of the COVID, sustained itself. But rest of the fuels we are seeing uh, clearly, we are seeing uh, coming. I won't say coming back. It's a cautious optimism in some form. but we are we are definitely seeing better markers in this as opposed to what it was in the month of april and in mid of may and uh, uh, green of course yes when we speak about green shoots uh, as we see more and more industries opening up uh, because core industries are yet struggling to come to the full capacity but as we see those opening up i'm sure we will start seeing some resonance and demand coming back to the pre covid levels uh, right uh, uh, i just wanted to interrupt you uh, in fact uh, when we talk about the demand coming back and uh, uh, 88% is what the ministry has been talking about but that's government data so i'm also kind of uh, and you you are a you, you are a large participant in the indian petroleum product space nyara uh, you have when do you see how much of this demand you see coming from the rural area as well because one of the notions which i've been doing the rounds for some time now is that the diesel demand is slowly coming back because of a good monsoon is that uh, is is that a fair assumption to make at this point of time i think you you hit the nail on the head and uh, probably you know we may be a bit of a not liar when we speak about a nayara story uh, as opposed to rest of the you know uh, uh, other peers because the way we are located our fuel station is close to about 6000 the way we are located we are not metro centric so as you know most of the demand destruction has happened in the core metros uh the government's focus on uh, trying to get the rural quickly back uh and to get some of the other areas which are not that affected in context of the covid getting them back has been a huge uh, kind of a contributor to our you know kind of getting some demand reverts uh so that that is where we feel and yes of course monsoon is just begin uh we will start seeing uh, better uptakes our outlook for the month as far as diesel is concerned is that we should start seeing a substantial pent up and looking at that you also find most of the refineries which were previously operating probably at 40% 50% of their uh, overall throughput capacities they have started increasing the capacities so there is a strong belief that uh, course, this course correction will happen in the course of this next 3-4 months and moving into the last quarter definitely we see a substantial pent up in the demand right thank you for that in fact i just wanted to ask this very quick question to ashwini ashwini we there's a, a lot of excitement around this gas market now uh, so we saw a gas section which was recently launched and uh, in fact there have been of course we have been hearing about this gas up for a long time i don't know when that will happen 
GST is, uh, gas is still not under GST. So anyway, so when you look from the from an LPG point of view, because there was a time in say around early March when we were hearing that uh, some of the Petronet LNGs of the world were looking at getting cargoes which were meant for China here. Now, obviously, even that story has changed a bit because given the interesting neighborhood in which we live, uh, how do you see the gas demand uh, coming up? And I'm talking about uh, LNG, given that uh, there's a demand for power is actually more or less, uh, I'm talking about electricity part of it, which is more or less coming back to the pre-lockdown stage. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, uh, you know, in terms of gas for power, you know, that's one of the very important segment. Uh, There is, you know, nearly 24 gigawatt of uh, stranded gas-based power, uh, which is available in India. And as the share of renewables is growing in the overall energy basket, you know, there is a more and more need for flexible power. And gas, you know, uh, on one hand is the cleanest fossil fuel, but, you know, it also provides... Uh, one of the most flexible power uh, generation abilities which can complement with very well with you know the intermittent uh, renewable so uh, and you know the current prices are uh, uh, of you know gas are such that probably you know they can beat uh, in terms of the cost of generation even the coal based power so uh, you know there is uh, you know the global uh, lng prices you know has an upside for indian buyers uh, probably, you know, a good time for, you know, looking up uh, for tying some long-term volumes as well. But especially, you know, in terms of creation of demand, you know, power sector is one, but there are, you know, a number of other things. For instance, the government of India had in the last budget laid down, you know, nearly 4,000 crores worth of outlay for, you know, tackling the air quality issues in 122 non, uh, you know, highly polluted cities. Now, you know, this is a good time, you know, uh, we all talk about, you know, whether this is uh, going to, you know, expedite the whole energy transition journey or, you know, it is going to delay. To me, you know, this is the best time for it, you know, taking some concrete actions in creating, uh, you know, the demand. So the government obviously needs to, you know, do things like uh, GST, you know, to make the exchange more successful. But, you know, there are certain, uh, you know, regulatory and policy uh, asks, you know, which uh, the government should kind of look at, you know, including providing, you know, some uh, support to power, uh, uh, which is based on gas. Right. Uh, uh, Very quickly, I want to get Vandana in. Uh, In fact, one part of this uh, conversation is all about LNG. Obviously, then we are also looking at transportation fuel. Yesterday, ATF prices were raised. Uh, Petrol diesel prices in India have been raised continuously uh, over the, since the time that the unlock, so-called unlock one has uh, happened. Uh, There's no relief for consumers, but uh, also now, when you look at what the way that OPEC Plus is uh, their uh, uh, strategy going forward, so what is in store for us? So good evening from Singapore, and thank you for having me on the show. Um, you asked me two questions, which will probably take us on slightly di- different streams, but let me address the the first one first, which is uh, India. Uh, I I do realize uh, it's been a bit of a raw nerve. Uh, of course, the press has been all over the fact that. Prices at the pump are much uh, higher even than um, back in January when uh, crude prices were much higher than where they are today. Um, I should have probably posed this question to Mr. Anand. <laughs> but look, um, this is pretty much the situation globally uh, and, some, and something that is uh, not as well understood, unfortunately. 
uh, amongst people, uh, consumers, is that the final price at the pump is made of uh, different components and the input costs uh, in terms of free, uh, crude feedstock, um, the refinery margin, uh, transportation is only a part of it. Uh, various duties and taxes uh, are a big part. Now, it so happens that in India, uh, that is a relatively bigger proportion of the final fuel price. And uh, as uh, probably our, our viewers know well, uh, the Indian government uh, raised taxes on, on, on diesel and petrol uh, in the past few weeks. Uh, so as a result of which that more than compensated for the drop uh, in feedstock costs. Uh, now, my personal view on, on this is, you know, it, it is a complex matter. Uh, basically, what it boils down to is that uh, as a government, of course, and as policymakers, uh, you need to decide whether you want to, what proportion of the advantage of lower international oil prices you want to pass on to the consumers. Now, and also it's a, it's a very economics-driven uh, argument as well. Uh, the government is taking more of that advantage right now by increasing uh, the uh, taxes. So really what it means then is that the government is saying that we will put this money, or rather it's committing or it ought to commit to putting that money to better use than if it were to be left in the pockets of the consumers. You know, that's that, that in the end, that's what it boils down to. It's an interesting argument, but yes. <laughs> yes, so perhaps we could talk for hours about this, but let's let's move on to OPEC. Um, OPEC has played a very key role uh, for the past three years, I would say. So uh, again, our viewers will recall the price crash of 2014 to 2016. It was obviously not as bad as what we've seen this year, uh, but nonetheless, uh, it uh, rattled a lot of uh, producing countries. And, um, you know, OPEC was in a dilemma whether to, to continue uh, cutting back and letting shale uh, flourish as a result or not. And, and ultimately, they took that very difficult, uh, controversial uh, decision to, uh, uh, to regroup, in fact, with non-OPEC and uh, to, reduce supply, to reduce supply. And we saw a very steady rise in prices uh, from 2017 as a result of that. Uh, we saw a, a dramatic collapse of that uh, OPEC, non-OPEC alliance in March this year, but they have again regrouped. So uh, as things stand now, what, what COVID has done is because of this unprecedented destruction of demand. And, you know, we, of course, uh, we, we're getting out of that destruction, but it's still substantial demand that has that still remains disappeared up to 10 million barrels per day or 10% of global oil demand, uh, even at this point of time, uh, has not come back. The What that has done is actually it has given a lot of power uh, over prices and over market rebalancing to OPEC. And um, they have risen to the uh, occasion, as I see it, uh, you know, cutting back 10 million barrels per day, nearly a quarter of uh, production for every single participating member of the 23-member alliance. Um, it's, it wasn't a mean feat. They've also delivered amazingly well on that. There was a lot of skepticism uh, that they would be able to comply with those kind of uh, massive cuts, but they have managed to. And the combination of OPEC, non-OPEC cuts from the start of May and uh, the easing of uh, lockdowns 
and a revival, slow revival of demand is basically the, these two factors have uh, combined to uh, push prices up uh, from the start of May that we have seen. Right, well, right. Uh, thanks for that. In fact, I wanted to bring uh, Arsh. Sorry, sorry. They were uh, you were saying something. I'm sorry. I wanted to actually bring Pramod in uh, on that note, you know. Uh, you know, as you know, as things kind of emerge from the from from where they were two months back, uh, one thing that everybody is talking about is improving operational efficiencies. You know, I mean, things really cannot uh, work the way they were, especially in the government sector. If you look at, you know, there's a lot of talk how it has to be far more efficient than what it was because you're talking margins here, you're talking minimal human intervention here. There's a health aspect to it till the time there is a you know solution to the whole you know pandemic. There's a vaccine. How is automation? How, how important a role automation is going to play out in all these endeavors? Well, thank you so much and good evening to all the viewers and uh, my fellow panelists. Um, I think um, we are seeing very interesting trends uh, when we look at serving the customers. And I think uh, if you look at the customer, the way they want to be served from a uh, contactless perspective, the fear of the disease. So you're thinking about as a business, how do you really redefine the customer experience? whether it is at the pump, at the retail shop, at an auto shop, right? Everywhere you have to think about how do you redesign these customer experiences that are responding to this new demand around serving customers. So that's one very clear trend around uh, redesigning the way uh, you serve the customers. Now, on the operational efficiencies part, we are seeing, obviously, bottom line, you know, the importance of that never goes away, right? So whether it is pre-COVID or post-COVID. So in that area, we are seeing whether you look at HR operations, finance operations, supply chain operations, whether you look at this, these IT aspects or whether you look at operational and maintenance aspects, how do you re redesign these systems, these processes in a way that become not just contactless, but also friction-free? And when they become friction-free, they can deliver you the kind of business agility that you had always wanted. And I think COVID or no COVID, it was always important, but I think... Uh, it has become far more important now, given that you need to deliver on these promises of digital through this practice of automation. And I think that's where we are seeing most demand coming in, where businesses want to engage with us in really transforming the way they have been working so far, whether, whether they're customer-facing operations or whether they're back office or really operational from an infrastructure maintenance perspective. So we have uh, customers all around the globe, uh, some customers are simple things like billing operations. If you reduce the errors in the billing operations through automation of whether these are cognitive aspects of understanding uh, documents, understanding emails, uh, you think about understanding contracts, and you put together all of that information in a way that makes sense to your processes. And once you lay this layer around this process orchestration, which is fully automated on top of your core systems, you can then deliver an error-free operation. And if you think about a simple thing like billing, when you reduce uh, billing errors, it not only impacts your customer satisfaction, but it also gives you much better cash flow, right? So if you think about squeezing the squeezing the you know last drop of oil, I think this is it, right? So every operation, once it becomes agile, once it becomes almost like service-oriented, so you can push a button to uh, uh, increase the number of operations in response to your uh, demand versus if, if you want to scale it down. So the agility helps you bring it, bring uh, make make that happen. And I think that's where we are seeing a lot of interest in automation, not just about efficiency, but also about agility in carrying out your business. 
No, no, absolutely. Um, no, so billing, uh, by the way, in Mumbai is a very sensitive issue right now. Uh, power billing, <laughs> reading in the newspaper. Mr. Anand, how are how is how are you approaching this? You know, what are what what kind of efficiencies are that you are looking at? So, COVID tells us two things, right? One, it tells you that uh, an energy is still will be a very important part of your life because even in lockdown, the consumption of energy was something which was very imminent. So which tells you it's there to stay. The backdrop to that, of course, is previous year we all spent talking a lot around the alternates about the uh, flying cars, the batteries and whatnot, and, you know, is the peak oil over? So those are the kind of conversations. But again, this calamity taught us one thing, energy is there to stay. The other important part uh, to Pramod's point is that it also tells you and reinforces the fact that technology is a very important. You know, digitalization is no longer a luxury, it's a necessity, which every organization, every industry, every even oil and oil sector has to embrace. And that's what I think has been the best learning out of all of this. The fact that so many of us, while having this you know, responsibility of working from home as an essential services, technology played a huge game in this to make sure that you know, things worked in a seamless fashion. Today, the fact that we're having a great conversation like this, uh, not in your studio, but in our respective homes, is, is a great, great reflection of how technology, when invested, what kind of you know returns it harvests for us. So the journey forward is going to be substantially around that. Uh, the context that you've put in today, which is a pivot or perish, uh, you know, you have to embrace technology. You've got to bring in automation. You have to understand how to digitize. I and mean, for us, right from the refinery, we're trying to understand how we can digitize aspects. Uh, the the new version of 4.0, how we can embrace there and into the corporate office as well. And uh, and so in that, you know, I'm sure companies like us and many others are investing substantially in making sure that, you know, you're gathering maximum efficiency by this. The other important part, as far as our industry goes especially, is that this is the last 8, 9, 12 months have been a difficult period, uh, which then enables many of us in our, in our sector to introspect our costs, streamline our operations, Bring in, the, bring in more and more efficiencies because, you know, this is a century-old industry. So has its own sets of norms, mindsets. So all that is, is you know, going in for some kind of a recalibration, if I, if I can use that word. And uh, everyone is very open to accept that there will be a new order post the other side of COVID that you will see a very new order emerging of how we all kind of uh, embrace our opportunities around us, how we make sure that we, we you know, engage beautifully with all the tools, the new tools which will come our way, be it in the upstream side of the oil or be it in the downstream side of our business. Uh, and uh, and yeah, that's what we see as four learnings coming out of this scenario. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Khanna, if I can come back to you again, uh, uh, the same question that, that I was asking you, uh, you know, in the situation that we are all facing, how is the transformation, the digital transformation happening for Tata Power? No, I think the digital transformation was happening for quite some time. It's only now we have been actually able to realize at how good it was. You know, at that time when we were making plans and investing into technology, they were with some perceived notion of the profits it's going to generate on various situations. This is where the reality has bite us and has bitten us very badly. And I think uh, the realization that those investments have paid on so well are going to transform into now our initiative as well as the exuberance of investing more and more into the technology part of it. I think those technologies were also available. It's not that we were reinventing the wheel or we are trying to innovate out there. The only 
challenge which was in the past is in this in this highly regulated but uh, i would say uh, cost effective industry in which we are in is it worth investments on those particular technologies and digitization which has paid us now very well so the results are there in our, with us uh, each one of us strategy as well as the business plans have now taken into consideration more and more investment into it and it is not only a investments on to if you ask me the billing cycle or the efficiencies thereof i think that is only the last mile connectivity important factor is how we build our projects important factor is that how do we operate our projects important factor is that how do we transform that uh, power from the projects to the homes and in all these areas uh, technology is very important we only showcase the technology which is in the billing cycle and the operational efficiency is coming out from there we leave where it matters most that is how we can operate our plants with the minimal manpower which is required generally or what we are used to or even permitted by the regulator can we reduce that of course now we we have certain plants where we virtually intend to be with one or two guys running a 100 megawatt plant on a renewable sector or otherwise too can we build a plant with more and more technologies into it and mechanization and make it ring fence so that uh, there is hardly any migration to or from those areas that is also possible and we have invested it in and finding the results so i think uh, there is a there is a spectrum which we were using in the past but selectively in infusing the technology and digitization in the last few months we have an i think uh, enlarged that canvas and now we have realized the advantages and are putting more and more investments now if i can ask you sir i mean you mentioned that you and of course i mean tata power has been investing in technology uh, let, let me take you back 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 in time a little bit do you see when you look back do you see any skepticism why must we put so much money in technology and of course i mean the good people who decided to invest have all been proven right and how uh, with the pandemic but was there a, any any hint of skepticism in those days i think it is not a part of skepticism out there it is always a difference between the excel sheet powerpoint to the reality of life uh, what was projected in the assumptions are they giving the predictable returns or not that's always a question which is posed and you know you have we are nowadays the master uh, in power but more and more the new generation is the master in the powerpoint too so they take you out with their assumptions and bring out those factors which can help you a lot at that time coming from the industry which is which is pretty old you always have this suspicion in this mind is how much of it is reality and how much of it is the risk which we are going to take across there i think that has gone off that confidence which was there for a perceived situation looking at the advantages which in this current situation we have derived that has gone off like i said all technologies were available it's not that now we are reinventing the wheel i think it is only our investments of the past which has paid us now very well it was paying us earlier too but to the extent which we are taking advantage in the current situation is unprecedented none of us has has actually invested in technology considering pandemic into a consideration as a business continuity plan but even in this situation it has paid off well is something if you say in a cricket loving country we were looking for a five day match but even on a 2020 the batsman has played very well so well, absolutely i mean uh, I'll, i'll i'll go to pramod quickly and then it's over to you utpal uh, so pramod uh, this is this pandemic is going to be a reference point for all the customer engagements that you're going to do 
or you just going to tell them no we'll anyway you know help you transform with or without a pandemic what is what is the conversation looking to be going to be like going forward i think what's happening uh, just like i said the conversation is changing right there is a confidence in the in the out technology right? there is no question about that these investments are going to pay off in the long term so that's the most significant we are seeing in the c suite with respect to buying technology uh so what i can make in addition to what i you look at the uh, our workforce today it's a uh, highly uh, technically uh, educated and we are, i think for the better students recognize that the uh, the workforce has really transformed through the last 20 to 25 years of investment technology that organizations and especially the energy sector which i in the forefront of uh, uh technology whether it's the scada systems or operational systems or it system but i think what is happening today is that you can use this new capability of automation tools that there this workforce which is technically competent can very easily use the business objective that you want so i think in that sense there is a almost a cultural transformation around technology that has happened and it's driving Uh, investments into technology even more the other thing i can say is that because of this and because of this awareness of technology and uh, workforce changing especially the millennials what you can see is that return on investments from these uh, is going to be uh, much much quicker so as an example lot lot of our conversations today are about what's really the roi or the tc on this and when you talk about automation and digital and analytics and ai in the context of 12 to 18 months 24 months i think that's where the technology is showing that it can really deliver value at the point when you really need it right so i think that's the change that we are seeing in the mindset this was a livement production brought to you by hd smartcast hd smartcast i'm any apple and i'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series raising april it's the most intimate sports related conversations you will hear Each week we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Bosa, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.